our teaching team, when we got together, we were making up titles for this whole series, and half of us really hated this title, and half of us really liked this title, um, because it's not, because when you think about divorce, you think about marriage, and it's not really talking about marriage, and we're not talking about marriage and divorce today, but it's, we're talking more about separation. So my team lost, and it's divine relationship and earthly divorce, so that's what you get today, Okay. Um, and really what this, what this comes from, actually this title comes from, is there was a guy named C.S. Lewis. You might have heard of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and all the other Prince Caspian, and, and all those books. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce. And again, it wasn't about marriage at all. Um, it was actually about a group, uh, about a guy who was in this place called Greytown. And what you kind of find out is that Greytown is hell. And in Greytown, everyone kind of lives for themselves, and everyone's miserable. And he kind of talks to his friends, and he kind of gets them together, and he's like, we should really find a more cheery place than this. And so they all get on a bus in search of a cheerier place, which is heaven, which you find out. So as they're leaving hell, and they're leaving Greytown, and they're on their bus, they encounter all these different spirits and ghosts and, and they tell them and they plead with them and they try to persuade them and they, and they beg them and they go, please, don't, don't go back to Greytown. It's so much better over here. Don't go back there. It's just, it's just a bad place. And I mean, when you're going this way, it's glorious and it's awesome and it's great. And so uh, they go on this journey. But what you find out is that most of them, when they really need to decide whether they really want to spend eternity with God in His glory or whether they want to really live for themselves, most of them decide, I kind of really want to live for myself. And most of them get back on the bus and most of them drive back to Greytown. And that's it. So, what C.S. Lewis, the point he's trying to make is this. Is that so often... We and the world is presented with the gospel and the good news, whether it's on television or whether it's on the radio or whether it's at a church or whether it's a co-worker sharing the gospel. So many times people are are given the opportunity to accept the gospel and then what do they do? They choose not to accept it and not to want it. And so that kind of leads us into uh, what we're talking about today We've been working our way through 2 Corinthians, and we've gotten to chapter 5. And uh, if you want to look at it with me, we're going to start in chapter 5, verse 11. And then we're going to skip to verse 14 and read through 6, verse 2. It'll be up on the screens as well if you want to, if you want to take a look at that. Verse 11 says, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And He died for all, talking about Jesus here, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For He says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. Now that's much better news than the song we sang at the beginning. Before we just really dive into this, what I'd just like to invite you to do is to uh, stand with me and greet a few people, ask them their name, and shake their hand and tell them uh, what you're going to do this summer on vacation. All right, here we go. Enough merriment. All right. I don't know. How many of you are jealous of someone else's vacation plans now that you talk to them? Okay. I get to go next week. I will not be here. Next week I'm going to be in San Diego, California. Woo! I'm going to celebrate 20 years of marriage. Woo! All right. So... I'm very, very excited about that. It's just me and my wife going away for eight days in San Diego. We're going to do anything we want to do or nothing. That's what we're going to do. Anything we want to do or absolutely nothing. So um, as, we, as we dive into the scripture today, we're going to kind of take it piece by piece. And I want to just start by sharing a little bit of how I came to Christ. I was one of those kids that my parents took me to church every single Sunday of my life. And I had to go to Sunday school, and I had to go to church, and I had to do these things, right? And I actually was 
learning Bible stories and I was learning memory verses and I was getting perfect attendance on the perfect attendance chart and all that good stuff, thanks to my parents. But as I, went, as I became a teenager, I kind of did not apply, let's just put it that way, did not apply what I was learning in church to my life. And so I knew how to act on a Sunday morning. I knew what it was to be a Sunday morning Christian. I could show up to church, act nice, fold my hands and pray, you know, do all the good stuff, you know, all that good stuff. And I learned how to do that. But when I was, but on Monday morning to Saturday, my life did not reflect a life of a Christ follower at all. I was disobedient to my parents. I was rebellious. I, I did things I wasn't supposed to do. Uh, and all of a sudden, I found myself living these two different lives, Right? When I was around Christians, I was, hi, I'm really nice and sweet. And when I was around my friends, when I was around my friends who who weren't followers of Jesus, man, we just lived it up and we did whatever we wanted to do, right? That's what we did. That was my life. And um, as I I was growing up, um, by the age of nine, all my grandparents had passed away. And so uh, I remember going to their funerals and thinking about death and all that stuff, right, when you, when you have a funeral. And what I thought about was this. I thought life was you grow up and you get really, 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 really old. And then when you get really old, they put you in a nursing home, because this is my experience with my grandparents. And then when you get really, really old and you've been in the nursing home for a while, you die and you have a funeral and that's it. And that was my idea of mortality. And so I thought, I have this long life to live, right? I can make, I can come to Jesus much later. But then one summer, I was 16 years old, and I was, I had a paper route. And so I was delivering papers. And as I'm delivering papers, I kind of noticed on the front page that a 16-year-old kid was killed in a car accident. And he was in my class. And he was my friend. You're not supposed to die at 16. Wait a second. You're supposed to grow really, really old. You're supposed to have this life. Gone. Doug, my friend's gone. Around the same time, uh, another girl in my high school who was about a year older than me died in a plane crash. Wait a second. You're not supposed to die when you're 17. I started really thinking about my own mortality. <laughs> my friend Around the same time, my friend was diagnosed uh, with bone cancer, and he had this huge t- tumor behind his knee. And they didn't know if he was even going to live. Man, I was like, <sighs> and so as I started thinking about this and 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 thinking about what I had learned in church and what what the preachers were saying and all that stuff and my own mortality, and I thought, what would happen? If I had to stand before God today, right? If I died today, if I had to stand before him and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you into heaven? And I'd go, hmm, well, I'm a good person. Never killed anybody. Never robbed a bank. Never, you know, did anything bad. And um, I went to church. Every Sunday, you should see my 
attendance chart here. Perfect attendance, three quarters in a row. Right? Is that going to really impress God? Seriously. Would that impress God? And then, what, then I thought about, what if God played an instant replay of the last week of my life? And he played it back on a screen for me to watch. And I saw all my junk and all the things I did wrong and all my rebellion and all my disobedience and all my self on that screen. What would happen? I'd be devastated. I'd stand before God and go, you're right. I don't deserve this at all. And I started thinking about that. And I, I made a decision when I was 16. I made a decision. Man, I, I don't want that. I don't ever want to stand before God and have that happen to me. So I had to figure out what I needed to do from that point. So let's take a look at um, verse 11. We're going to start there. Chapter 5, verse 11. The Apostle Paul's writing this book to the, second, to the Corinthian church. And he's writing in, in, in chapter 5. He says, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Okay. So here's Paul. And he, he knows what it is to fear the Lord because he used to persecute the church. He used to be a bad guy. He used to hate Jesus. Okay? And he came face to face with Jesus on earth. And he was thankful that he didn't die and see Jesus. And he, tr- his life was transformed. And now he's going throughout the world and he's saying, Okay, I know what it is to fear the Lord. I know what it is. And that's why I'm trying to persuade you. Follow Christ. Follow Him. And uh, here, and when I think about the fear of the Lord... Uh, there's kind of these two extremes that, that people kind of fall under, you know. The first fear of the Lord is the people who like to drive the fear of the Lord into you, right? You know those people? Like, if you make one single mistake, God's going to come and He's going to smite you, right? And, and you're like, ah. That fear of the Lord doesn't always usually work because people forget about that. The other one is like, oh, it really doesn't mean fear. It just means to really love the Lord. No, there's, seriously, there's elements of the fear of the Lord and what he could do. Because I have two definitions of the fear of the Lord that come from two different places. And so this is my understanding of the fear of the Lord, and it's this. When we are living in sin, when I'm living in sin, okay, And then we realize that God could smite us. He could smite us. That's a good word, isn't it? Smite. He could smite you, right? He could just take his big giant fly swatter and just, right? When I'm living in sin and I realize that God could smite me, that's the time that we're driven to ask him for mercy. And guess what he does? He gives us mercy when we repent of our sin. He offers us mercy. And he says, okay, you're free. You're free from that sin. The second thing is that when we are living in God's grace, if we, if we are believers in Christ, okay, let's just say we are believers in Christ and we're following him and we're living in his grace, we realize that God could smite us, but he doesn't because he sent Jesus to die on the cross to save us from our sins. And he won't. 
And if we're living in grace and we're living in that truth, get this, we have no fear of his judgment, but we worship him out of fear and reverence because he's an awesome and fearful God. But there's no more barrier. There's no fear of of being smitten. There's no fear of the giant fly swatter. There's only worship to a God who would love us so much he would send his son to die on the cross for us and be raised from the dead. So, I've got three points that, we're, that say we are no longer something. And so the first one is, if we are in Christ, you want to write this one down, okay? If we are in Christ, we are no longer separated. Okay? We're no longer separated from God. See, God's here, and us sinful people are over here. And Jesus says, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to create a bridge from you to God. And I'm going to open up this relationship again. And you won't have to be separated from God anymore. I make a relationship new. I reconcile. God says, I reconciled myself to you through Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 17. 17 through 19, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us through himself, or through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Simply put is this, we all deserve God's judgment And we all deserve hell. And God says, I don't want you to be there. So I'm going to make a solution. I'm going to come up with a solution. And that's my son. His death on the cross will reconcile you to me. And because of that, he no longer holds our sin against us. Man, that is a great truth. I am so glad Jesus does not hold my sin against me anymore. And that's why I've given my life to persuade you all and everyone else I get around to persuade you out of the fear of the Lord. Persuade you to follow Him, to follow Christ, to give your life to Him. So how does this translate into into our lives? So let me ask you, are are you a Sunday Christian and a Monday through Saturday kind of I do all these things? do things for myself, live for myself? And that's a question only you can, you can answer. And, and then the question is, if you got to heaven and God said, okay, why should I let you in? And you go, well, I'm a good person. Never killed anybody. Never robbed a bank. Is that going to hold water? Or are you going to be able to stand before God and say, oh, you know, God, yeah, I've messed up my life. I've certainly done that. Man, I, God, I, I asked Jesus to cleanse me of my sins and to make me new, and he did. And that's why you should let me in. And God says, oh, yes, I know. You're my child, and I love you. And I don't know where everyone's at today, and I don't know where you're at. But as we, as we look at that, he says in verse 15, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation The old is gone, the new has come. So what does he mean? The old is gone, the new has come. 
We find the answer in verse 14 and 15. Let's take a look at that. He says, For Christ's love compels us. That just basically means I have no other choice when I live for Christ, okay? When I say yes to Christ, I have no other choice. He compels, love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I don't know about you. I always, in, in our family, we usually have a, a nice car and a clunker car. And I, of course, my, let my wife drive the nice car. And I usually drive the clunker car, right? And I've had a lot of clunkers, you know. They won't, I have clunkers that are so bad, they won't even give me cash for clunkers. I mean, that's how bad my clunkers are, okay? They look at that and go, no, not, not possible, okay? And so, uh, you know, I, you know my, I steer like this, you know, and, you know, and I had a Saturn that went from zero to 60 in four minutes. You know, I, I've always driven these clunkers cars, and, and uh, the thing I love about sometimes when we go on vacation is we rent a brand new car. Oh, and for that week, I'm driving like this. And it's like, oh, this is awesome. It accelerates. It's got tight steering. It's got nice tires. You know, it, it works. It actually starts in the morning. This is great. A new car. And if you really ask me if I would rather have a new car or an old car, I'm going to tell you, I'd want a new car. Absolutely. I want to drive a clunker. And here Paul is saying, the old is gone. When you are in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. What's the old? I live for me. Everything's for me. I live for me. I work for me. I buy for me. I clothe for me. I get a house for me. I get a boat for me. I get a wife for me. Everything I do is for me. That is the old. The old self is, I live for myself. And isn't that great? Because it's all about me. That's the old. I used to live like that. Everything was about me. What is the new? Let's take a look at verse 15 again. If we can. Verse 14 and 15. Here we go. And he died for all. Okay, I want you to read this with me. Ready? Here we go. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Okay, fill in the blank. Here we go. Jesus died that those who live should no longer live for... Oh, that's the new... The old is gone. Self-centered me, Dave. Woo, everything's about me. The old is gone. The new has come. What does it mean to have new life in Christ? What does it mean when he says, you are in Christ, you are a new creation, you're a new creature? That means you live for Christ and for others. That's it. Every day, not Sunday morning, doing, doing your Sunday morning gig. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That you live in this reality of God could smite me, but He doesn't because He loves me and He gave His Son for me. Oh, he saved me from hell. 
He saved me from hell. Hell on earth. (laughs) Hell in eternity. He saved me from that. And I'm going to give him my Sundays? We don't want to do that. He says, you no longer live for yourself, but you live for Christ and for others. So we're no longer separated from God. And the second thing is this. When the old is gone and the new has come, we are no longer selfish. We are no longer selfish. Just on Friday night, uh, my wife and I were at a meeting of the church members. We call it a huddle, and anyone who's on the crash, uh, which is our church membership, uh, meets, and we met on Friday night. And we met out in a park, and it was a little warm, but it was kind of cool. It was very, very nice, warm, but cool. And uh, it was cool to have it warm uh, for once. And after, after that, we were driving home, and she said, oh, I'm really thirsty. Could you just stop and buy me a, a really cold uh, bottle of water? And I love to serve my wife, and so I try to do my best to serve her. So I'm like, sure. I just, you know, pull into the gas station and I park. And as I'm getting out, I said, so um, do you want me to get you any snack or anything while I'm in there? She goes, no, no, I'm good. So I go in and I buy her a bottle of water. I get myself a drink and I'm looking and I'm going, Snickers. It satisfies. I'm having myself a Snickers. I know she doesn't want anything, so I'm having myself a Snickers. So, um, I get back, I open the car. As I'm getting in the car, she sees the Snickers, and she goes, are you going to share that with me? I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, are you going to share that with me? I'm like, well, I asked you before I went into the, go- the store if you wanted a snack or anything. She goes, I didn't hear you say that. <laughs> so what you're telling me is you want my Snickers. Well, yeah, aren't you going to share with me? Now, I'm thinking to myself, if she would have asked for a Snickers, I would have got her a Snickers. But she didn't ask for a Snickers, and I wanted one for myself. So I got one for myself. And I'm sitting there in the car with this choice to make. Am I going to eat the Snickers, or am I going to share with my wife? And I thought, how stupid can I possibly be over a Snickers? Okay? It's a Snickers. I could have gone back and bought ten more if I wanted, but it was all about the principle of the thing. So, I repented in my heart and mind. Jesus, forgive me for having the selfish thoughts. And then I broke the Snicker in half and gave her the smaller half and we drove off. Because our flesh, ourselves, we, at the very core of our human nature, are all about self-survival in ourself. And what Jesus says is, I want to rip that out of you. I just want to take that away from you. Because when you're all about self, it ends up being very miserable. And life isn't, isn't great. But when you take away self, and you go, oh, I'm going to no longer be selfish. I'm going to no longer live for myself, but for the one who died for me. I'm going to live for him. And because I live for him, I live for others. So what 
So if it's true that we're no longer separated from God, if that's where you are, and that it's true that you're a new creation, the old is gone, the new is coming, now you're living for, your, for others and for Christ and not yourself, then what should be the ultimate response to that? What should be the action step? Okay? That's the, that's the question. What should be the action step? So if we're no longer separated from God and we're no longer selfish, then we are compelled by God's word to be no longer, this is the word, here it is, number three, here we go, no longer silent, no longer silent. Let's look at verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Okay, let's stop there. He has committed to us, to you and me. Now, isn't that a scary thought, right? He gave us the message, and he's given it to us. Okay? And then it says in verse 20, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though we were making his appeal... God, we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who was, had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. You know what an ambassador does? An ambassador of a country leaves his country and goes and represents his whole country and his whole government to a foreign nation. Do you know what kind of power is in an ambassador? Seriously, he says the right words, and man, everything's good between these two nations. He says the wrong words, all of a sudden missiles are flying back and forth, right? There's a lot of power in the ambassador because everything he says and everything he does and everything he he is, he represents his nation, in everything, in all of his actions. So think about this. We are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. So if we're only Sunday morning ambassadors and we're Monday through Saturday, eh, we're kind of selfish, do our own thing, right? How are we representing Christ? We have to represent him on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Because we're Christ's ambassadors. He's entrusted you and me, all believers, he's entrusted us to share his word. To share God's love. He's entrusted us. Now, I got to tell you, like I am, when I was growing up, I was a super extreme extrovert. Or introvert, not extrovert. Sorry. I was a super extreme introvert. I was so shy. I wouldn't talk to anybody, and if, especially if they were new. It's like, right? Then I get into youth group, and they want us to go, like, knock on doors and share Jesus with total strangers. It's going to be fun. No, it's not. And I ran away from sharing Jesus with people because I was like, oh, I'm totally frightened and scared to do that. Because what if they ask me weird questions that I can't answer, you know? Or what if they, I share Jesus with my friend and they totally reject me? He'll feel bad, right? And so I had to get over this. And it took years for me to get over this. But um, now it's a little easier for me. But it's still hard. 
It's still hard. This, this third point, that I'm a Christ ambassador everywhere I go and everything I say, ooh, I don't like this one, but I'm teaching it. But back about six years ago, I, was, I had taken a year out of ministry and I was working as a carpenter. And these carpenters, you know, uh, they would come on, on site and I'd, I worked with a team of them. And whenever a new guy came on the team, he found out who the preacher was real quick, you know. Hey, watch out for Dave, he's the preacher, right? And so I always hated people finding out because then they started changing their behavior around me and everything. And so uh, this one day I get stuck with this new guy, and his name is Dennis. And he goes, oh, so you're the preacher guy, huh? I go, oh, great. And so we talked a little bit. But then the next day, uh, his name is Dennis, and he says, he goes, Dave, he goes, I'm going to hell. And I said, what? Why do you think you're going to hell? Well, he goes, my Christian friend that I have, he says, because I'm Catholic, I'm going to hell. I said, Dennis, that's not right. And then I was able to share the simple gospel with them. I only shared like a few sentences because really, when you take this Bible, and some of you got big Bibles, hold up your big Bible, Steve. Hold up your giant Bible right here in the middle. Look at this. Yeah, hold it up really high. He's got the big one. He'll thump you with it. Okay, <laughs> if you're not careful. So uh, if you boil everything down to what it means, I said to Dennis, I said, it boils down to this. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you strive to live for him every day of your life, that's all it is. That's what it all boils down to. And he goes, yeah, that's what I told my friend. I'm like, oh, so you already know this, right? So I'm like, okay, we get, we get through the day. Come back the next day. I get work with Dennis again. Dennis goes, well, Dave, I'm going to hell. Like, is this Groundhog's Day? You know, Bill Murray and all this stuff. Like, what is going on here? And I said, why do you think you're going to hell? Well, my Christian friend, he tells me that because I listen to the wrong music, I'm going to hell. Because I like to listen to 50 Cent. I guess back six years ago, he was a hit. I don't know. And I, I said, you know, okay, Dennis, we talked about this yesterday. Seriously, it all comes down to this. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you strive to live for him every day of your life because give it back to him. I said, that's it. That's what I told my friend. Okay, great. So we got going on the conversation a little bit, and I, I thought, well, you know, Maybe I'll suggest a good church to him. So I go, well, there's this really good church. It's right around the corner from where you live. And um, I know, I have friends that go there, and it's, you know, everything. And it's, it's a big church, but they allow you to ask questions, and it's, it's really good, and it helps. And they help you to understand the Bible real easily, and it's a really great church. And, and he goes, yeah, where's that? And I said, I said the name of the church. And he goes, oh, that's where my friend goes to church. Come on! His friend was supposed to be Christ's ambassador to him. Not to say, well, if you do this, or if you come from that background, or if you do this, or don't do this, or do this, or don't do that, you're going to hell or you're not going to hell. His friend was supposed to be Christ's ambassador to say, this is it, it all boils down to this. (sighs) So anyways, um, I pray for Dennis every once in a while because he got fired the next day and I never saw him again. But, uh, I just think about him all the time, and I think about this story 
about how he kind of got burned by one of Christ's ambassadors. We are his ambassadors. God, if you're a believer in Jesus, God is making his appeal through you, whether you know it or not. Because everybody's watching your words, they're watching what you do, and they're listening. The reason why Paul even wrote 2 Corinthians was that the Corinthian church, the, the believers in the Corinthian church, they literally were living a Sunday morning Christianity. And they were living like hell the rest of the week. If you go back and read 1 Corinthians, and you read the lists of sins that Paul discovered, and the things that people were doing, you'd go, Ugh! Christians doing that? Come on. But if you were real honest with yourself, you'd be going, well, yeah, okay, I can see that. And so they were living this, these two lives. They were living in two worlds, but in the incorrect way. They were living in this, oh, we love Jesus. Jesus is awesome. He's great world. And then they were like living for themselves Monday through Saturday. And Paul's like, I just want to tell you guys. <laughs> I, just, I just want to remind you. Just, I just want to remind you of what Jesus did. Okay? And he was beaten and he, he died on the cross. I just want to tell, just remind you what God did. He reconciled himself to you by sacrificing his own son. I just want to tell you, just remind you of what he did for you. And then he comes down to this. In verses 1 and 2 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says this, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. What that means? It's like don't receive God's grace and then just live for yourself again. Because anyone who lives for Christ, no, that's, that's the old. Don't go back to the old life. This is the new life. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. So he says in verse 1, he says, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. It's now now it's today you got a second chance third chance fourth chance fifth chance whatever chance you're on he says okay if you're tired of living in two worlds today is the day of god's favor i'm going to ask the band to come up and i'm just going to i want to share a few closing comments with you and just ask you a few questions when the when when the band starts playing today and playing worship, if you've been at K2 before when we do communion, um, we have people up here with some juice and some bread, and they'll be standing across the front. And at any point in, in the service, uh, the rest of the service, you want to come up and, and take that, you can do that. But the reason why we take communion is because Jesus said, whenever you take this bread, remember that my body was broken for you. Just remember that. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. My body was broken and ripped and torn to shreds for you. Just, just remember that. 
And when you take the cup, and you can dip that bread in the, in the cup and the juice, it says, when you take that cup, just remember. You just remember, I'm going to shed my blood all over the ground. And I'm going to die because that will cleanse you from your sin. And I want you to remember that all the time. I want you to remember that. And so there's these two verses um, that talk about self-examination. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40, it says, Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us examine our ways. Today's a, a great time to examine your ways. <laughs> to examine them and say, okay, God, and just come clean. Come clean with them. He already knows. <laughs> he already knows. So just come clean. Tell him, I didn't want to give my wife that half a Snickers. Just tell him that. Come clean with them. Or whatever it is that's going on Monday through Saturday. That's not living for Christ. It's not reflected of that. Give it to Him today. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the first book that Paul writes to, these, to the Corinthians, he says this about communion. He says, A man ought to examine himself, a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's some pretty strong words. But the offering is here. This is the offering to you right here. Let's put put it up. I I got the tray. I'm ready to offer this to you. The offering is this. Examine yourself. If there's anything. You know, I was preparing for this message, and last night I was, I, a lot of times on a Saturday night when I'm teaching, I go on a walk around my, our neighborhood. And I just said to God, okay, this is what I'm teaching tomorrow, God. This is, this is what I'm teaching. Is there anything? Is there any wicked way in me? Is there anything in my heart that shouldn't be there? Because if there is, I just want you to sh- point it out to me right now. I don't want to bring that into the service tomorrow. And guess what he did? He pointed stuff out to me. I couldn't believe it. I thought I had a perfect week. But I didn't. And he pointed out some things. They weren't, I, again, I didn't kill anyone last week and I didn't rob a bank. But sometimes I lived for myself. And I said, God, okay, I do not want... <laughs> to go into this Sunday morning service having that. And I just repented of it. And that's what I'm offering you today. And that's what the Bible's offering you. That's what God's offering today. He has the ministry of reconciliation. He wants a divine relationship with you. He wants you to be in divine relationship with Him and His Son, Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is say yes to Him today. So if it's your desire to, to do that today and say yes to Christ whether for the first time or the hundredth time, you say, yes, this is the life I want, then come up during uh, the next few songs and sing along and just worship God and just let these words of these songs bring healing and strength and power to your life. And then come up whenever you want and just take the communion today.